I mean, I always said that poetry was a shortcut to the soul anyway, for anybody who's writing it. I mean, write it for your own personal use as, as well as a stage. It's a shorthand to the individual soul, and that's when you find out that we are all individuals. And even though you can have a poem about the same thing, it comes from a million different viewpoints. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello, Dave. Hello. It feels weird to be sort of introducing you to on the podcast because I'm in your space. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like, you know, like it's, it's almost should be the other way around. The old space in Morecambe, which is a kind of like theatre project that you're doing, which we'll talk more about. I mean, theatre project is actually minimising the actual uh, brilliance <laughs> of what you're doing here. Uh, but to tell people where we are, and it's been nice and busy already. So there's been people in and out while I've been here. Like people are flocking to you. Yeah, uh, they really want to find out what's happening in this space, which is great. If there's the sound of doors and stuff like that, that's that's what you know. That's where we're at. That's what you're going to hear. So yeah, the first question I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Um, that's a very good question. Well, I, I'm hedging a guess that it was through the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, and when you came up in 2013, was it? Or was it probably, before? probably was oh, 13 or 14. Yeah, yeah, 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, and was I programming you then? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, yeah so Stand Up Tragedy came up, and yes. we were uh, programming the. I think, I think the first year we came out. I'm not sure. Yeah, like I'm not sure if you were. I don't think I was. Second year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Stand up tragedy. That's that was right. It. Absolutely brilliant. Well, show. you were you were part of uh, for me one of the kind of weirdest moments of stand up tragedy was like <laughs> the end of the, the 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 second run of the fringe that we did where we were in the Banshee Labyrinth. Yeah. The last gig, we we finally got you on, yeah. um, but everybody else pulled out. You lost your voice. Yeah. And uh, you kind of like croaked through your set, like you, you you were like, "Can I not do it?" And then you were like, "Oh, actually, no, you need me to do it." <laughs> um, and then I ended up bringing up Stuart Lee from yes, the, audi- Lee from the audience. Yeah. Uh, so it was actually one of our best gigs with one of our biggest stars <laughs> that we never booked, but still did our gig. Um, didn't give us permission to use him on the podcast. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, so you're 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 often someone who I end up talking about when I'm telling that story. <laughs> And then I have to describe you, mm. uh, which is a difficult thing to do. Uh, well, it's an easy thing to do, but it's a difficult thing to do in a kind of like I don't know. You're you're a very evocative person to describe. You're you're very tall. I remember like <laughs> today when I came in and hugged you, I was reminded of how tall you are. Got massive beard. Yeah, that's just laziness, <laughs> right? And you and you and your your stage name is the Monkey Poet, yep. which should give people an idea yep. of kind of like what you do. <laughs> Um, and you do it very well. I really enjoy your like. I really enjoy your your spoken word and your theatre work, um, which I saw for the first time in Edinburgh when we kind of like at the various points of our of our meeting. And you're kind of like a because you run or like one of the people who are running the spoken word section of the Free Fringe. You know, you're like a name that everybody knows. Uh, <laughs> a kind of a terminus that all of the trains pass through, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. which is you know we need those people in the arts, and so I'm, I'm glad that you're you know there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that I, I am as well. And yeah, you're right. I do remember the uh, everybody else dropping out. And I thought now, now, now is the time. I've got the croaky voice, but I can. Help Headline this show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
then my dreams of grandeur were smashed when Stuart Lee stepped from right, the audience. Right, right. No, I'm only joking. No, but no, but it was know. a great build one, and it was it was a great day. And the Banshee is just my spiritual home. As right, well. right, right. And knowing people like yourself, and as you say, all the other acts that you get to know through doing the free fringe, because you know. Spoken word, no, no, no poet's going to die a millionaire if they did it on poetry alone. Right. Um, right. But, but, you know, the free fringe and, and its ethics and spoken word, I think, have just been a natural fit for each other. Right. Like, you know, somewhere that people can perform without losing the house or the shirt or the whatnot. And um, it's just been great. It's given me such a privileged position to have, you know, we have 100 applications or whatever every year. So that's 100 people I've got to go and check out and watch and see. Right. And it's, it's I just love that. The diverse voices of the spoken word scene is amazing. I mean, and that's not just the kind of diversity that we all associate with the word diversity. You know, it's like different accents, different like life experiences from all directions. Which... Different ways of saying this is spoken word. Right, anyway, right, right. Like, what? Because what does spoken word mean? It doesn't really, like it's it's one of those great terms that means everything and nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, which is great because it means that the shows that are made are everything and nothing which is the best yeah, you know, that's, absolutely that's where the exciting work like when I tell people like who are going up to the Edinburgh Festival like what to see when they're there I'm always like see the spoken word yeah. like everyone goes because of the comedy but like there's a lot of very similar comedy and there's not very much similar spoken word not, every not show really. will be completely different and because they come from a different person and you know they're not trying to hit the hit the jokes although a lot of them are really funny yeah, yeah, um, yeah so yeah. like you know i always think you know people get put off by the word poetry and like people are starting to cotton on that spoken word might mean poetry so they they can be put <laughs> off by the word spoken word um, but they shouldn't be, you know. No, that's no, where the really all. great stuff's happening. That's where, um, I mean, I always said that poetry was a shortcut to the soul anyway. For anybody who's writing it, I mean, write it for your own uh, personal use as, as well as a stage, which yeah, is what I do. If absolutely. I ever need to think, this is what I think about that, then I write a poem to do it. Because, um, yeah, it is, it's a shorthand to the individual soul. And that's when you find out that we are all individuals. And even though you can have a poem about the same thing... right. It comes from a million different viewpoints. It could, you know, it's, it's glorious for that and it's empowering for that. Well, I mean, and that, and that, that speaks to something that I've learned through doing uh, true storytelling is that the more specific you, your story is, the more it's like very specific about your life, weirdly, the more universal it becomes because we all like understand things like sadness or happiness or fear or those sorts of things which come out from being as as specific about your experience as possible. I mm. think a similar thing happens in spoken words. It, like the more idiosyncratic someone is, yeah. like, the more universal their material can be. Find your tribe, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like you know, when I think of like a name that some people might know on the spoken word scene is Rob Orton, and yeah. his stuff is the weirdest <laughs> stuff ever. But it, but every time I leave his shows, I'm like. So he said something profound about the ex- human Everybody experience. has a face. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a face, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, the second question I ask everybody is, uh, what do you do now? Well, that's, <laughs> that leads us very neatly, I suppose, onto, onto alt space. Yeah. This is my life at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, to, try to narrow it down. No, life, yeah, yeah, this is my life. So we've set up 
space on Yorkshire Street, which was a hairdresser's. The reason that I decided to go for this space is uh, you've got a brick wall down there. You've got all of this wood here. It looks perfect. Yeah, it kind of reminds great. me of a 1973 New York comedy club kind of vibe yeah. to it. So, yeah, it, it looks great. Um, we've got the staging up, some pallets there to make a little rough stage. We've got the seats about. It's just perfect. And this was all this was all built when we came in. Right, this would be from the original done. hairdressers, yeah. right? So we're like yeah. sat at a hairdresser's desk, I guess the, the, the bit where people come in and pay the money Absolutely. before they Absolutely. go out their, their haircut. There was mirrors sort of uh, on that wall, but they'd been smashed, unfortunately, and, <laughs> and another desk. like. But anyway, yeah, so it... We walked in, uh, I saw the space and thought, this is perfect. We're in Morecambe. Morecambe doesn't have a comedy club, which just strikes me as like, what? they got a statue of Eric Morecambe, but not a comedy comedy club. club. (laughs) Yeah, and and not not a regular comedy night. And and not a bricks and mortar theatre. And not a spoken word night. So for me, I just thought, that's kind of wrong. So the idea was to to provide that in, in its simplest form. That's it. So we're kind of everything. Right. Uh, to do with performing arts. There was a big gap for performing arts, so that's where we are, and we're hoping to tap into everything. So comedy, spoken word, theatre, writing in general, yep. the community, getting, but also getting kind of established people in as well. You did yep. a kind of fundraiser with John Cooper Clark, yep. Dr. John Dr. Cooper Clark these Cooper days. Clark. Yeah. And you've got Arts Council funding for some of the stuff you've done. You set up a fringe here. I mean, you, you know, you, you've really kind of come and exploded <laughs> like into Morgan in, in in every direction because uh, you've only been here two years right? I've, yeah that's right I moved here two years ago and uh, went out to go to a comedy night and there wasn't one and so all of this happened as a result so yeah we, we set up the Morecambe Fringe Festival and the Morecambe Fringe was just we were using Fringe as like a, a dipstick just to see if there was an interest there or not and there was massive interest in it. Yeah, it, it, it was just a massive success. So then we did the Fringemus uh, Festival. We started tapping into the schools, things like that. Then we did the uh, Story Festival, which is more about um, solo storytelling, that kind of thing, the solo theatre shows. And then we did the Comedy Festival in July, um, which you know we were catching people on the way up to Edinburgh. So we, we got 30 great acts in. Unfortunately, England did particularly well during the World Cup. How dare they? Yeah, so well, we pulled one night, which, to be honest, honest we've gone from having a two-day festival to having a nine-day festival and now we've got a festival every three months which is something that our uh, local writers local performers etc can aim for and be showcased alongside with right and, and that's the idea right and it is a local thing that you're doing like you were talking about when you were talking to somebody else earlier on and t- explaining what you were doing you were talking about how you were kind of basing it slightly on Andy Warhol's factory. Yeah, um, but but it's 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 kind of. I feel like and that's a good that's a good reference. But Andy Warhol was a little bit more elitist than, than what's <laughs> happening here. You yeah. know, like the people who've come in today, like like since I've been here, I you know came to meet up with you, and then there's been like a constant stream of people from the community coming in saying, "What's this? How can I get involved?" Like, and you know that that means people really need places like this. Yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm really encouraged by that, uh, to be honest. And and you know what? And just the general niceness of people and people right. being really people are responding to the space well it's a nice warm welcoming space that was the other thing was was just the vibe of the space such it really is a great space it just feels warm you know it feels warm and it feels welcoming and people pick up on that and they're also saying yeah 
so I, the lad who came in before, it was literally, well, I've always kind of wanted to do stand-up. Well, I've always wanted... And it's people who've wanted to perform, but I've got no idea how to yeah. go around it because it's not there. It's like what I was saying about theatre. I don't care if someone walks past the theatre and doesn't go in. I want them to have a theatre that they can turn their nose up to. Them. Right. You know, it, it's not giving them the option of turning up the nose at the theatre. Right. Is, is If they walk past it, that's a different thing. That's programming, that's whatever, but it still needs to be there for them to walk past. Well, that lad as well, like I said, I wouldn't normally come into a thing like this, but I looked through the window and you had, you know, posters on the walls yeah. like, that, that appealed to him. And that's that's it. Like, it's it, it's, a, it's a space that, like, it's very creative. There's lots of, like, art on the walls and there's lots of books and stuff. I think you're going to be a shop as well yeah. as, a, yeah. as, as, well as a, a space. So there's all that. There's music and there's, there's, big, there's keyboards and stuff like that. It, it's got brick wall and, like, wood wood so there's, it's like this is a space that you can create stuff on yeah right absolutely. it's like not a finished space no. this is for us to finish this is this is the <clears> canvas <throat> yeah, yeah right yeah, exactly right. exactly and you can take inspiration from one of the books or one of the pictures or whatever but it's for then you to add yourself to. right i'm very excited by yeah it's, it's a very exciting place i mean and it's very exciting to hear the community responding to that today um which you know wasn't you didn't set that up no, that, that just no. actually just happened um <laughs> And yeah, like it, the, the stuff that you're doing here is kind of all of the different facets of you, right? They're, they're all elements of what you do, like comedy and, and spoken word and theatre. They're all things that are in your kind of wheelhouse that you've yeah. been doing for quite a while now. Yeah. But you were saying as well to somebody like that you were talking to earlier on uh, that you didn't think those things were for you, you know, for a long time. Right? Yeah, yeah. I... Um, I... <laughs> I always wanted to be a, a performer. I was quite good at school and so on, and uh, college. And then um, I just didn't didn't push it the way that I should have. I think at the time. Having said that, I wanted to be an actor, and and it, it, that that feeling has changed. Uh, I was lucky in the way that I ended up in Manchester. I was thirty two, thirty three, and a guy called Mike Gary got up in between bands and started reciting a poem. And I went, "You're allowed to do that." Are you? So then that's how I got into the spoken word uh, scene. And the great thing about spoken word, as, as we were saying, is actually it allows you to dictate what comes out of your mouth. It's not acting in that sense in which you sort of uh, you, you defer responsibility to the writer. Uh, in in that way, uh, spoken word is right. This is what I think about that, and this right. is my opinion on it. And here we go. Or you know, it doesn't have to be that. But I think politically, it is all about being true to yourself. Right. Um, so I concentrated for a long time. As you say, I've been doing it for a while uh, on my own career, and uh, where that got me, and so on. And then I, I was a. I, I think every 10 years or so, you need to change your yes. direction massively. Yes. And yeah, yeah. I came to Morecambe, uh, you know, washed up <laughs> on Morecambe <laughs> Shore, uh, like many uh, people from Manchester and Liverpool before me. So in the 90s, there was a big influx of uh, bring us your huddled masses and your problem families. <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's no accident that I ended up here as well. And then the fact that it, do, it doesn't have those things that we said uh, just shocked me, really, to my core. But also, I can't imagine any other town in the UK that doesn't have a comedy night, um, let alone one with Morecambe's heritage. And, and that was the thing that surprised me, was here's a community that's absolutely been 
just cut off from its own heritage. Laurence Olivier filmed The Entertainer just at the building, the theatre just down the road, like right. at the end of this street, right. 100 yards away is where Olivier filmed The Entertainer, yeah. which was uh, an incredible, incredible film. And also, uh, oh God, who wrote it? Um, John Osborne. He wrote Look Back in Anger when he was in Morecambe. He broke from wow. that relationship and it was a horrendous relationship page because you can read about kind it. Kind of disgust in the play, <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, he, he wrote that when he was in Morecambe and I think it was Morecambe that gave him the inspiration for The Entertainer as well, the sort of end of the music right. hall and so on. I mean, it's a, yeah, that's it. It is a seaside town that's traditionally where there's been like big strands of the arts. Yeah. I mean, you know, the arts might not be a highfalutin way of saying that might not have been how people would have described what they were doing. No. But they but you know, that's the thing with the arts. Like it doesn't matter if you think it's art or not. It is art if it's about creating something and uh, and you know, seaside towns are, have always been about that. I mean, you know, Blackpool, there's a lot of yeah. places in the north that are part of that tradition and Absolutely. It, it's sad that that Tradition is being lost, you know, the, the continuity. I'm glad that you're here to kind of force it to carry on. Yeah, know? basically, that, that's how I see it, is, is to reignite. The, there's a, the old guy, John, John's Taxis. If I'm going to recommend anyone in Morecambe, it's John's Taxis. It's all John's <laughs> Taxis. Google that. He's a lovely old guy. He's in his 70s uh, and he's still driving a taxi. And he uh, he performed at the Alhambra uh, years ago. He, he was sort of... Um, uh, started out in music. He was on the same same stage as I think PJ Proby. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, no, exactly. I love P- PJ Proby. Weirdly, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, so, it's so. quite a weird thing to be. <coughs> I go into, I go into P- PJ Proby because of uh, Soft Cell did a collaboration uh, with 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 him, and I really love. Uh, Suburban Opera is a song he did with Mark Holman wrote it, and, right. Uh, yeah. Well, he supported him. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah, he was on the same bill at the Alhambra. Uh, and he was telling me, and you know, he, he had a, a choice to make, and in the end he left music and he and he um, got married instead. And he said his, his wife wasn't really that supportive of him, didn't really understand the music. And he said, fair enough, you've got to make a choice. And he chose to be with his wife, and they've been together for 52 years or something like that. But um, the point is, this used to be a training ground for all the local people who wanted to get into the arts, then they could actually get into the arts and, right. and, and make a living from performance. Now, if you want to, and this is where I get all political, sorry, mate. If you want political to, is uh, good. You're welcome <laughs> to get political on this show. If you want to leapfrog uh, your social class, if you want to leapfrog your finances, if you want to, I'm not saying like go grind your way up, you know, go from yeah. pushing the shopping yeah, trolleys yeah, yeah. to being the manager. Uh, if you want to leapfrog, then you do it through two ways, and that's arts and sports. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Th- there are those two. They are arts and sports. And if you... They're just really doing the best to shut the door hard on the former. Uh, uh, and that's... that's I want to... Have, Stuck my toe in there, right? <laughs> and I want to try and keep that door open. Because well, the arts, any, anyone can do the arts. Yeah. Whereas sports do require a kind of level of athleticism, mm. you know, to do that. And uh, not everybody can can do sports. Yeah. Or like, not everyone can do sports to the level that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. We can we can all play five aside, or like you know, in whatever way, in down the local park. But you know, to, to leapfrog your social class requires quite a lot more ability. It than really that. does. Well, and also you will get. Uh, scholarships 
through sports, right. you won't do through the arts. So right, even if right, you've got right. a natural talent, it won't get picked up upon. And, and really, the current government are doing their best to shut down uh, even spotting talent because yep. it's being eviscerated from the curriculum is right. the only way that I They'll turn up to it. the premieres and get a little bit of like British art scene uh, light on their faces, but they won't support the bread and butter grassroots absolutely absolutely i've got nothing against eddie redmayne i've got nothing against benedict cumberbatch i've got nothing against any of these people that are doing uh, quite well but they were given um the opportunity to not starve a little bit longer than people are so if you've done like three years at rada and you go into the job center and you go i'm an actor they'll go that's incredible well done you um tesco's would like you to stack those shelves over there and if you say no 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 i've i've just come from rada i've, I've got my degree it's cost me fifty thousand pounds uh yeah that's great but you stack those shelves otherwise i'm going to sanction your benefits right Right, right. And, and so you stack those shelves, which means you're not available for the auditions, you're not available to turn up, because really what, what they say, you know, I'm a resting actor. There's a reason all these stereotypes are true. You've got to wait. You've, you've got to be available at a moment's right. notice for your opportunity right. to come knocking. And the same comes from the other side of things. Like if you're a writer or you're, you're creating things, you need boredom time. Yeah. You need actual time <laughs> where, like, you, you, you come up with your ideas. Like, and, and so... Like, if you don't have that luxury, that's why throughout history, people who've done well in the arts and writing and these sorts of things have had luxury to be bored. Yeah. They've had the luxury to, like, think, oh, to have what space. should I think about today? I mean, and I'm not knocking that. I want everyone to have that. Exactly. exactly. You know, but, but, but it's a reality that we have to face, you know. Like, whatever class you come from, like, at this point as well, like, you can be born middle class and go into the arts now and you, and you still have no ability to, like... Because uh, because what's happening is like things are getting worse across the board, right? Yeah, in terms of yeah. owning houses, all of those things. I mean, people who are traditionally working Swedes. class often yeah. own houses, whereas some sec- like second or third generation middle class people uh, don't ha- own houses yet. You know, so it's it's it's, it's super complicated how yeah. it works. But what you can definitely say in this weird. Uh, ever-changing, fluctuating class uh, system that we've got where we're all still remembering the old ways even as the new ways are happening is that, yeah, like we're being screwed by the government like, yeah. across the board, <laughs> across you know, the board. We, can all, we can all unite in that like whatever whatever your background if you're in the arts you do you, you know you'd have a better life if you had support yeah. from the communities and the systems that want to consume your art right yeah, they want exactly. we all want art like anyone who says arts mean there's a lot of upper class people will do that sort of nonsense they'll pu- they'll pull that stuff on you but they still they still watch tv they still go to the yeah. opera probably if you they're can't upper avoid class it. i mean art is what happens you know uh, in your life before you die right, you know, like, right. i mean art right. is literally uh, a way for you to spend time right whether that is watching a telly whether it's going to the theater whether it's having a look at a painting yeah. whether it, it's what you do to occupy yourself to think or read a book, or whatever, you're yeah. Im- imbibing art. If and someone sang you songs in the cradle, you were experiencing art then. <laughs> nursery rhymes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all of that, it, and it's there. It's a part and parcel of life. So the fact that arts uh, can even be perceived as elitist is, is something that... 
Yeah, we need art needs a rebranding. Um, poetry, I think, got killed by uh, T. S. Eliot. He he really intellectualized yep. poetry and and made it foppish and made it and just oh well, that's that's not real art, darling. I just I hate that. Um, yeah, the intellectualization of it all. Uh, I, I found and your myself... work is very much not you know trying to. Be it's not intellectual opposite. at all. No, but, thanks, but Dave. No, but I don't think that's I don't think that's true. I mean, I think it is intellectual. I'm joking. I'm joking. Major ways. I mean, you know, you're 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 one man play where you're like talking about the film Three Hundred, but you're also talking about the First World War and like all masculinity and all sorts of bloody things that you're sticking in there. That's super intellectual, but it's got a load of dick jokes. Yeah, you know, and and and, and that makes the people in the audience laugh and engage and think. You know, that's what being intellectual is, isn't Every, it? Everybody loves a dick joke. Right. I mean, that, you know, well, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Shakespeare. Loved the dick joke. Absolutely. I mean, like, that's it. I mean, so I think being the anti anti T S Eliot, like I think that's one of the things I like about the work that you do. It, it it's not it's deceptive. One of the things I like about it is it's deceptive. You could hear the work you do and go, oh yeah, like he's he's kind of crass or like he's kind of coming from the working class roots and like he's bringing this kind of thing. And you are you mm. are doing those things. And I'm not knocking yep. crassness actually, but you're also doing all of this other really really clever stuff that you're weaving in and, you. and bringing from all of these places um and so you know that's 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 the kind of work you do but that's also the kind of work everybody could do like yeah. all art is 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 all the people who are making stuff they're they're just grabbing from the world and they're well, mixing it's, it's, it together new it's a reflection of society isn't it it's you, it's you do the art from the stuff that's around you as you say you grab it from the world that's around you um Thanks for mentioning 300. I'll, uh, my friend Corinne Rees-Jones is performing that show uh, next month at the Thespis Festival at Kiel in Germany, which is a solo wow. theatre festival. Oh, wait until you hear this. He's doing it on the 11th of the 11th, 2018. Wow, that's great. He's doing it on the 100th anniversary of the Armistice. Wow, uh, in Germany. In Germany, <laughs> in a venue called The Bunker that used to be a bunker in the First World War and in the Second World War and is wow. now an art space. And he's, yeah, he's, so he's, he's um, performing 300 to 1 and then he's taking it on tour uh, after that. And there's a bit of me, I'm go- going across to see the show. <laughs> there's a bit of me that just wants to push him down the stairs. <laughs> Corin's hurt himself, but I think I can remember all of the words. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you will be able to remember all those words. I mean, I, I'm shit at remembering words. I've always been very impressed with that. Uh, element as well. It's one of those showgirls things, you know, where you push the leading lady down the stairs and then take the place. But uh, but yeah, Um, (laughs) I think I can remember it. Yeah, I mean, now now, now you've uh, you've made that joke on on, 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 uh, this podcast, you'll have to avoid doing it. I will have to avoid doing it. That that wasn't a very good plan. (laughs) Right. But (laughs) yeah, like, so... I mean, and, and and that's the sort of thing that you're like, you're you're bringing this community together and like creating this. And one of the things I like about what you're doing in this space is that you're looking to create a kind of infrastructure to to provide that social, I guess, social mobility. But I don't like that phrase because fucking Blair's. No, exactly. No, but, I want it to be an escalator out of poverty. Right, if right, anyone right. wants to get on the escalator, then they're welcome to get and on. And we'll support them all the way. When they up. talk about social mobility, they're never bloody meaning downwards. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're, they're never saying let's pull those people with too much money down yeah, to a yeah. reasonable 
sustainable level of life. Well, yeah, you know, exactly. Like I want them to be able to get bored, but there's there's boredom time and there's boredom time. Like we 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 all deserve uh, we all deserve that, but we need to redistribute our time as well as our money. Well, I'm just waiting for <laughs> waiting for the sun to fart really loudly so that 93 percent of the world's wealth disappears. You know, right. I mean, there's only seven percent of the world's money that's actually real. Well, th- well, that's true. I mean, and even that, yeah, exactly. We can't we can't we can't uh, swap our our, our paper for gold the way we're supposed to be able to that's actually impossible we're yeah. living in a fictional world yeah. and yet we're not paying the people who make fiction any money <laughs> <laughs> that's what's so absurd about it yeah i mean you know yeah i mean i guess we are paying the people who make the, the that fiction because the, the people who make the fiction of capitalism are you know well rolling wall street yeah. people but well, the other thing is you know they've, they've got no money for the nhs that was 20 billion in debt but, you know, 360 billion quantitative easing. Oh, yeah, we'll just write that on a computer. Right. Zeros and ones, zeros and ones. There you go. There's yeah, 360 yeah, we, billion. Like, what? Right. Yeah. We, we can't create fictions that help us. We, yeah. we can only create <laughs> yeah. fictions that help, you know, those people up there that will, you know, at the top. It's a nonsense. So, so yeah. So, like, to get to this place, though, you know, you did, what, 10 years of working on your stuff? Your your craft? on my own shows, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much. Um, before I kind of came to the the well, ten Edinburghs. This was my tenth Edinburgh this year. Wow, tenth uh, consecutive fringe, yeah. And it 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 just got a little hollow for me in the sense of I wasn't too sure what I was there for anymore. And and you know they say that every overnight success takes ten years to happen. I, I just sort of got a little lost. And as I say. Um, then Morecambe came to my rescue. It really did. And, and the, the energy that I'd sort of spent on pushing myself, suddenly there was this void to fill in Morecambe. And I right. was like, okay. But then, because I have done Edinburgh for 10 years and I, I sit on the fringe board and I programme for the, for the spoken word, I sort of got an idea of how to put things together and what needs to be done. The most important thing, it's not if you don't know anything. That's brilliant. Everybody doesn't know everything. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, so, that's, so, that's yeah. wisdom, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> to, to you know, hold that up you your hands nothing, to your right? ignorance. But what yeah. I do do is have the people on the end of a phone line that I can call right. and say, hey, I, I'm trying to do this. Have you got any advice? And so what we did in September, we had a symposium before the first fringe where we brought in people we had Anthony Alderson from the Pleasants. We had Peter Buckley Hill come down. We had Kate Copstick come down uh, and, and various others, Catherine Cumberford from the stage and so on. We said, look, this is Morecambe. Have a walk around the place. Have a, you know, we've got the fringe happening for the weekend, and we we invited um, people from local organisations and just interested people to all right. sit round a table and go, right, what can we do? And so we kind of had a, a, we developed a very loose blueprint of how we were going to introduce the arts again to Morgan, which is weird. It's almost like talking about a foreign species of, of tree that you want to take root <laughs> in the soil, but then you find yeah. out that or you know, reintroduce the English ash to right. you know and, and that's it. Um and so we we thought about that and having a community theatre company, having a place where writers can write and putting them together so that the writers are writing for the company. The Warhol factory idea. Uh, so, you know, this is this is a factory. This is the floor space. And you've got everybody who's responsible for all of those integral parts right. that slap together the car at the end of it and it leaves a complete car. And then once you've got that complete car, complete show, complete what have you, 
you then display it, and the festivals right. are the display frames for the for the goods that we do, and then we want to export them, and we're going to export them to Edinburgh. We've got a, a tour booking agency now, a promotions company that's looking to book the work that we produce as well. So it's basically taking people from that very first joke that they write to their very first tour. Right. Uh, and being with them, holding their hands, being as supportive as we can every single step of the way. If there's people that don't want to perform but they want to write sketches, then they can do that because we've got the community theatre group there for them to perform the words that they've written. So it's uh, it's developing an audience by making the audience the participants. Right. You know, it's complete inclusion. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, like, the, the audience, it's not just that people don't have the opportunity to make art, it's also people don't have the opportunity to kind of be around art being made. Yeah, Like, it, it gets made far away, and actually, when it's happening within a community, that's when you have the, the spark, yeah. that's when you go, like, oh, oh, that person's doing that thing. I can maybe do something similar to that. Like, yeah. you know, that's how it evolves and changes and people you kind of that. come up with new stuff that you've you know, never had. And that's, that's the other reason behind the festivals, so the Fringe Festival, Comedy Festival and so on, is so that we can bring in, I mean, in, in a perfect world, it'd be a 50-50 mix of local shows and imported shows. So then, you know, there's always the bar afterwards, the performance bar. What I loved about the Canadian system, which, which doesn't happen so much in Edinburgh, just because Edinburgh is such a huge beast... Right. But in, in uh, you know, the first uh, fringe I did was in London in Ontario, and, and the first one in America was the Indianapolis Fringe, and these were about 30 shows, something like that. And there was the bar, and if you're a performer, you got a pass, so you got to see all of the other shows. Right. And you were only doing, say, six shows over 10 days. Now, I say only, because if you go to Edinburgh, it's a show a day until yep. you, or two until shows you. a day, or, yeah, um, until your eyes come out of your face. Um, yep. And you don't really get that, that luxury afforded to you. Whereas here, people were seeing each other's shows, having a few beers afterwards and commenting. And it was such a good training ground. Just listening. Yeah, and, and there was, I learned so much about performing from people who were dancers who'd come to see my show right. on poetry and, and from different art forms. Right, because we can, all learn, right, we can all learn from each other. And exactly. That's, yeah, that's And, right. and that's the beauty of it. And, and so what I wanted to do, this fringe, it happened, uh, this uh, Morecambe fringe, brought down uh, X amount of people. It was over nine days. We, we didn't do that many shows. We had like three shows on the weekends and a show at the nights. But during the days, we had workshops from the artists and these like taster sessions. And then the, the idea is after that, you know, the, the next festival, we'll have the mix going on where people are performing their work, they're seeing other work, which influences their work. As you say, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's the fertiliser. By that, I don't mean... <laughs> I don't mean that these shows are a load of shit. No, <laughs> what no, I'm no. saying is it is a fertiliser. So during those 10 years, you went from being someone who's sort of saw someone stand up on a stage and went oh I can do that too and you did started off doing poetry and then you moved into more theatre would you say yeah I'd always I'd always fancied um I'd always fancied myself an actor and and it I was going to do Flashman the the very first Flashman book right because we were in Afghanistan at the time yeah and and um 
I uh, I got in touch. She's the writer George McDonald Fraser had just died, and I got in touch and said, "Look, I'm going up to Edinburgh. I'd love to do Flashman." And they went, "Join the queue," and because you know there's film companies, there's radio companies, you know the rights tied up and so on. I was working in the libraries at the time in Manchester, and uh, this book came back called "The Campaign in Afghanistan" by a guy called Lieutenant John Greenwood, and it opened. I opened the page, and at the top was the Kipling poem or, or the the verse. Uh, when you're lying wounded on Afghanistan's plains and the women come out to cut up what remains, just roll on your rifle and blow out your brains and go greet your God like a soldier. And that was how I was going to open Flashman anyway with that. And so I thought, that's a coincidence. And it was by a guy called Lieutenant John Greenwood. He served in 1841 campaign and, and published the memoir in 1844. And it, it just, I was like, right, this is it. I've always wanted to do the play, and this I wanted to do Flashman. I can't do that, but you know what? This is better because it's this real life memoir, and it, it just it almost seemed as if it was written for me. And and the beauty of it was, or the beauty of it, the the most reassuring thing for me was that I didn't actually have to write a full script. I had to adapt a book into a script, so it was baby steps almost. And also with it being a guy who'd actually served, I didn't want to screw up his memory right i didn't want right, to screw right. up real his person. like yeah. yeah real person here this is this is what he wanted and i wanted it to be funny but i also wanted it to, to show some respect um, and it, and it did i'm actually performing it at the the, uh, the last friday of this month which should be the first time in three years four years that right. i've done it so in alt space i've got something that i'm calling fringe fridays which is last Friday of the month, putting a show on that's well-received in Edinburgh. Just a, a way of bringing in people again. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing myself because uh, I'm the cheapest act I know at the moment. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and then November, we've got um, Steve Pottinger. I don't know if you know him and Emma Pursehouse. They did a, um, and Dave Pitt. They did a show called Poets, Prattlers and Pandemonium. I've heard of that show. Yeah, yeah. it's a great show. Um, so they're on November the 30th and then we'll take a break over the Christmas and get see see who's coming next year. So that was your first kind of play, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're doing it, what's it called? Uh, Welcome to Afghanistan. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, it's 1839. Britain is about to start a war. It cannot win. History does repeat itself. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're still in Afghanistan. Yeah, it's true. That's it's the thing. Super we're true. still a... And, uh, you know, um, Wellington said, Afghanistan, very easy to get into, very hard to get out of. Right. <laughs> and that is true, you know. No, We sure. never learn from history, man. It's ridiculous. I know, I know. I mean, we don't learn from history because we don't learn history. We don't. You're never taught <clears throat> in schools. You're never yeah. taught the real history. You go through your life thinking that you know what's what. I mean, and think think how many nothing. people vote or voted uh, Churchill to be like best Britain or whatever like he's literally a horrific war criminal not just one war like yeah. he, he did so much war crimes that it's like you know if, if he hadn't had that been in the right place at the right time you know during the second world war or arguably it doesn't really matter if he's there or not but at least he's you know he, he's vaguely on the right side in mm. that situation like everything else about that guy is horrific uh, no it really I mean, is he even managed to like cause people to die in the smog you know mm-hmm. let alone like you know, force fed the suffragettes it's like not not just war crimes he did crimes here he sent sent anyway anyway don't get me started on <laughs> don't get me started on churchill so yeah so 
you went from doing sort of spoken word stuff to more to solo shows, I guess, yeah. like solo plays yeah. where you do a lot of different voices, which I guess is, is, is stuff that you did as, a, as an act or had developed, you know, in the 30 years before you started doing the spoken word, you'd been acting a little bit? Or? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did it at college and then it was that thing of I've done it at college. So I really wanted to test myself. Afghanistan, there was 13 characters in it. So I, I sort of pushed myself in that direction. Um, um, and then uh, I did a show, uh, Murder Mystery, Monkey Poets Murder Mystery, um, which had about 12 or 15 different characters in it. And then it, it sort of peaked at 300 where it was... Um, uh, 25 at least characters uh, yeah, you, were, I, you were playing quite a few kind of like well known literary figures as <laughs> yeah. well like, which is interesting well that was the uh, the nice bit about murder mystery was um, I had me and T.S. Eliot finally have it out <laughs> and, right. yeah and he, he says to me I know absolutely nothing about poetry to, to a certain extent he's absolutely right and I say yeah mate well at least I didn't write fucking cats right. <laughs> and, then, right. and then he goes to punch me in the face but um yeah, I, 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 enjoyed, I enjoyed all of that. I played Wilde and Bukowski and Ginsberg and yeah. Shelley and all of these people. Uh, it was great. Um, and, I, and I really loved doing that. Um, the last show, actually, is true storytelling. I suppose the last show I did was Greyhound. Greyhound, yeah. And that's... I still uh, really love that show. Uh, I'm doing. I'm actually going over to Kiel in Germany for that festival to perform Greyhound as well, which I was I was surprised uh, at being asked, but I'm very yeah, very very flattered. And Greyhound's about your own experience of riding yeah. the Greyhound buses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just sat next to a young lad who threatened to behead me if I sat next to him, and he uh, he'd been mutilating bodies in Mexico for the cartels, so wow. it wasn't exactly an empty threat. Uh, and he was 21, you know, and he'd lived an incredible life uh, for a 21-year-old. I mean, he'd, he'd been a pimp. Uh, and afterwards, looking back on it, and I say this in part of the show because it's not something that I'd said at the beginning, but looking back over the whole story, I think he was pimping his own mother out. And uh, wow. there's just, yeah, I mean, like, there's people who live lives that you've got no idea sure. of, you know. And and there was a moment when he said to me, you know, you know what a pimp is, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. And then he says, yeah, because the people who use those women need to know there's somebody outside with a gun who's going to hurt them if they hurt those women. And I suddenly thought, Jesus, I maybe don't know what I've been doing. Yeah, because it's actually, you know, <laughs> someone providing security for people yeah. doing a job. And to a certain extent, like, you know, there is a, 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 a wide variety of different kinds of people who yeah. are called pimps. Some of them are just uh, sex workers who live in the same building yeah. with each other. Like, you're not in this country, you're not allowed to... Uh, to have more than one sex worker working in one building at the same time and if you've got like your partner or whatever they get called a pimp like by the Whoa. by the government by the society so it's it's super complicated but like there there is you know a, a wide yeah, range yeah. of people you know which on the other end does include like you know horrific people who are like sex keeping people in, in uh, sex, yeah, yeah, yeah sex yeah, trafficking yeah, yeah. and slavery but you know, it's 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 interesting though that that question and that moment is an interesting moment, isn't it? Like, so often someone says, "You know this thing," and we say, "Yeah," and then we don't actually know. Assumptions. Right? That's it. Yeah. We, we all make assumptions, and we're programmed to in a certain. That's how you get to learn about the world. But right. then when you find out that your assumptions can be completely wrong, you you know that 
the Conservatives, for example, think that everyone who's unemployed is lazy. Right. Like, that's an assumption. That yeah, who's make. providing yeah, the stories yeah, as yeah. well? Who's telling you the stories? Like, that's half of our problems, I think. Like, when we're talking about not not knowing history of course we're taught history in schools we're just taught false history yeah. and then like it takes years to unlearn it which is why I get so them. annoyed about Churchill you know yeah. <laughs> yeah it does take years to unlearn it and, and also it's that propaganda and there's a lot of art that is propaganda in 300 uh, to 1 um, I was trying to the, one of the main thrusts of that piece was this is how we package war and sell it to children the film 300 right it's how war is packaged and then we had the poetry of um Sassoon uh and Owen as saying this is the reality of war and it's both art they're both artful things and it's art that aestheticizes war I suppose and art that peels back the surface of war right Um, and And sometimes the same people have done both yeah you know that's one of the really interesting things about the war poets like some of them like had you know epiphanies during the process and then and and uh certain people like to pull out the the stuff that's jingoistic yeah um but you could easily pull out the stuff that's anti-war and you know people do and so you have this kind of war of words within one poet's set of of work you know argues with itself it, of course it does, and, <clears throat> and, and human all, beings you know, don't stand right. still. We're fluid. We all argue we with ourselves yeah. every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could pull. It's we argue with ourselves on a daily level, but also you know the person that I was twenty years ago holds oh, yeah. a variety of different um, different thoughts, and, and <clears throat> yeah, uh, I mean, a completely different person. Yeah, I mean, I've been doing this podcast since uh, twenty eleven, and the. The early podcast version of me, I I, I don't agree. Like, I try to say this as often as possible. I disagree with nearly everything he said. Like I used to think it was about some subjects, but then I've been re re putting out some, yeah. so I've been listening back to them, and I've been like, no, no, it's not even just some subjects. It's that like every subject, you know, everything from word choices to like deeply held thoughts about the world, I yeah. disagree with. Well, you know, and that's not very long. That's like you know, we're in two thousand eighteen, right? That's like, yeah. Seven years, and I'm, I feel like I'm a completely different person. Well, you are. Yeah, I am. Speaking. You know, well, yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Six years. Yeah, um, right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, but that doesn't absolve us of our past in no, some ways. No, it doesn't. But it doesn't mean that, like, to, we don't need to be absorbed. Yeah. Like, that's not necessarily the process. Like, to, to, to remember is important. If yeah. we rewrite our own histories, how are we ever going to learn collective history? Well, exactly. Exactly. You've got to... Uh, yeah, those who feel guilty about the past are wed to it in some way I think and you've got to let it go and you've just got to be the person that you are today that's right um, and yeah exactly you've got to learn from it accountability is different from guilt I think yeah, and, and, and that's, that's a, a really important thing that a lot of men really need to get our heads around I think yeah. I am publishing a book through Unbound Unbound are a publishing company which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December 
to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing If you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. The way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it, and people like you telling other people about it, sharing it on social media, recommending it to other people, those kinds of things. You can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page. There's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem but it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So... Listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. So before that moment when you saw someone on stage and were like, oh, I can do that too, why why did it take that long to get you on that stage? Um, to, uh, I, I just... I, I wouldn't say I got distracted, but there was... Um, I decided to go behind the stage or, or behind the camera rather than in front of it, I suppose. So I ended up doing a, a HND course in TV operations and so on, and that didn't interest me either. I felt I didn't have the backbone, to be honest, uh, for acting when I was young enough to have gone into it sort of full force. Uh, I just didn't have the spine. I didn't really want... I'd done it for a few years. I felt passionate about it. I loved it. I wanted to do it. But then um, there was something about the people and the cliques and, the, and all of that lot that kind of disheartened me a bit. And so I just took a step back. And I kind of regretted that step back for a long time. But then, as I say, when, when I saw Mike Gary getting up and then I came through the poetry, because I'd always written poetry as well, it was a way to perform in front of people. And even better than that, it was a way to say, this is what I think. And, and it, it really unblocked me. I think all that time that you spend not writing... Yeah. And there's a hell of a, you know, in that first year, I, I just exploded. I wrote so much stuff. Uh, and then when it came to um, writing the plays, that was another explosion. And then I kind of burnt myself out, I think. That was interesting. And I think that's what led me to being slightly lost for the last couple of years I was at Edinburgh. I was just not too sure why why I was there or what I was doing. Apart from the fact that I love going up to the Edinburgh Fringe, which right. I do. You know, it's a three-week holiday for me. But that wasn't the same as, 
sort of, I suppose it's when you find yourself in the job that you've been doing for 10 years and right. suddenly you're not as happy as you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that boredom bit that gets set in and you think, well, hold on, I'm doing what I said I've wanted to do for yeah. ages. Yeah. I'm living the dream. <laughs> why Why do I feel hollow and empty inside? Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't being, um, you know, fulfilled or, or spiritually nourished. And why Morgan? No other option. Uh, I got evicted <laughs> from Manchester. And, uh, and I say I, I kind of found myself on Morecambe Shores. An old friend uh, said that they had a place in Morecambe that they needed someone to keep an eye on. Um, so I could live there rent free. So I did that. That was two years ago. And uh, the whole thing seems to have been a bit of a blur, to be honest. But we've actually done quite a lot of work built a lot yeah it it, It doesn't always feel like you're doing work when you're doing work sometimes when it's like all like when you're doing so much it's hard to take note of what you've actually achieved yeah yeah um because you're still in the middle of it and you're thinking i'm trying to get there yeah and and so you're always like oh i'm not there powering powering towards yeah but you seem to have done an amazing amount of stuff here when you say you've always written poetry, like, did you write poetry as a child? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, um, one of the first moments of note when I was in primary school, we stayed at a place called Burwardsley. I can't remember. How, you know, when they take you on a school trip, so it's like a, a weekend place, so you're away from your parents for right. the first couple of days, that kind of thing. Um, so I was there, and we all had to do a poem about nature. And I wrote mine on, um, it was called The Tangling Tree. And it was about this tree that went around murdering people at night. And it had the couplet in it, uh, a woman wakes up in bed to find her husband without a head. (laughs) Solid rhyme. Yeah, disturbed child. (laughs) Um, uh, So yeah, I remember I had to write that out uh, in the book that was there. And (laughs) I wonder if they've still got it, to be honest. But yeah, um, and I think you do that uh, certainly blokes I think write poetry quite a bit that's emotional dark this this one's called I love you and I will stab out my eyes unless you say yes <laughs> you right. know that kind of thing uh, <laughs> and you go through phases of it and I stopped writing poetry for years until I, I saw Mike Gary and then it was like bang light switch and it came back so so quickly and so were you and we you were growing up in that primary school was i manchester then no no it was uh, down in northwich in oh, cheshire right. in oh, Woody, right. so different part of the north but still the north yeah it's still the north me um me mum came from liverpool heighton and uh me dad came from manchester right so they the decided, classic yeah the classic yeah. combination romeo and juliet right right <laughs> a man and a scouse get married that was yeah um I mean, yeah. Morecambe's quite a good position for the, in relation to Manchester and Liverpool, actually. I used to come up here as a kid, loads. Yeah, yeah I used to come up from the age of... So my dad helped build uh, Hesham 2, nuclear power station. We have the best sunsets in the world in Morecambe. I hope they've got nothing to do with my dad's handiwork. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, he worked at Hesham 2. Um, he was a site agent there. So every school holiday, we would come up to Morecambe. And literally, just round the corner on, on West End Road... Walk past like wow, we used to stay in that, you know. Right. As a family, we would have this like guest house. Yeah, from I don't know the age of eleven to sixteen, pretty much every holiday. I think it was eighty two to eighty eight. He worked up here, something like that. Right. Well, I mean, that's it. Makes makes it even more makes sense that you're here. It, do, it does. It's it feels so right. That's that's the weirdest thing about this place. You know, I've always liked the sea, and the bay is just staggeringly beautiful. Yeah, it really is. You've got a World Heritage site in the background, and and then weirdly enough, there was this 
gap for performing arts. Um, so as I say, if I'd have gone to a comedy club, none of this would have happened. But no, there isn't one, so now it all has, and it just right. it just seems right. I mean, it's, it's that punk clipped. thing, isn't it? If you if you want something, you have to, it isn't there. You have to build it yourself. Yeah, do and, it you yourself. Know, that, that is something I really believe in. Yeah. Although it's exhausting. Yeah, I mean, it's exhausting to keep building things because they're not there and they should be there. Like I, I, I've done that a few times now, and I. I'm definitely having a little break from that for the yeah. minute, but I'll probably do it again tomorrow. You know how it is, you know. Absolutely, but and it for me, it's come at the right time because actually I can throw myself into it with gusto because of the previous ten years. Right. But there will be a moment where I either switch back or go to something else. There will be that hollow moment that I get up and go, right. "What am I doing?" Because we change. Yeah. Right. We already Absol- said that. Like, absolutely. That's the thing. We evolve and, 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 and you survive. have to, you have to keep changing. Or, or you, yeah, or you, or you die. I mean, there's a there's a line in a, an Irving Welsh book called Glue that I always like think about, which I, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's essentially that: like, if you don't keep changing, then you become. Yeah, life is a dynamic, not a static process. Yes, absolutely. That's, it, that's what he says. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, it is dynamic. You can't stay still because. That's not what life is. No. Like you can you can be trapped. Yeah, you can, you you can, can be spend in that comfort years zone. being unable to, to to fully change, but you're still changing mm. even when you think you're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you can't help it. Every day is a battle. It's weird. From the micro to the macro it, it is something I'm really beginning to believe in at the moment. So when you go to bed at night, war is happening all over your body. You know, right. there's germs, right. there's this, right. there's that. There's a, you know, you look at the body of the person to the body politic to right. the body collective to the world itself. I, it's just uh, well, that was a bit philosophical, folks. Don't know where I was going yeah, with that. No, good. <laughs> Shakespeare reference and everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's been brilliant getting better acquainted with you. I'm really glad uh, to have done this. I mean, I've also moved uh, up north. I'm in Lancaster now. And again, that's a place for me that has kind of clicked in a way that I was hoping, but I didn't know it would. Yeah. And now, like, I've been there. I lived, I went to university there, so I've lived in Lancaster. But when I lived there, I didn't appreciate it. Because no. now, coming back, I really appreciate all the things I didn't appreciate it about it at the time. That's it. You also, you have memories of a place, but those right. memories are false, you know. It, it's, yeah. Or sometimes they're really stunningly accurate. Yeah, like, or you live, in a, like, you live in these weird bubbles. Like, I, like when I was at Lancaster, I was at university, yeah. so I was living a student bubble life. Yeah, of course. And so I did, literally didn't know that, like, you know, I'd like... You could, you could, you know, I, I never really came to Morgan. It's, it's, you know, I came on the bus today, but the other, the other week I walked here. Yeah. You know, that's how close it is. <laughs> this, is this is as close to my house as it, as I used to be to Hackney. Yeah. I used to walk to Hackney to do a true storytelling night there every bloody month. You know, this is so so like it's it's absurd to me how small my my world was when I lived in Lancaster. Well, that's um, it. But that's it. You grow up, and then yeah, the world becomes bigger. But at the same time, when you go to like back to these places you see them new you see you know i guess sometimes you have to go away from something in order to kind of you know see, see it through it properly, fresh yeah. eyes yeah absolutely and there's a lot of morecambe that has massively changed and and a lot that's you know not stayed the same because that's fine you know what there's a lot that's changed but it just seems to be almost as if it's a blank canvas like it really has that exciting energy about it yeah that, that and all, and also, you know, my fear is gentrification, obviously. But. And you might be the part of that, right? Because that's how it yeah, works. Art yeah, washing yeah. is yeah. the first sort of part, and then when you get a great art scene here, that's Oof. when all of the rich people want to move in, it goes. and then they chuck out the artists. It's yeah. not like the artists win. Yeah. 
but you know you're aware of that that's the so thing. maybe you can you know guide guard against it i mean you know you know knows? what it's exactly that i've been thinking and thinking and thinking about how to mitigate against uh, our own successes here and that's not me because there's actually quite a vibrant art scene here so there's the steeple for the people the exchange arts community sent around the corner there's the restore uh, which is like an art place um there's wise up workshops there's various things that are happening um and it's how to mitigate against that success. Uh, and I think we need to get our heads together and draw up plans. Because gentrification now is, is sort of a well-known curse. Yeah, It's happened so many times before. So we know what the effects right. are going to be. We have to learn how from history. How do we guard against them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've got to learn from history. Yeah. And I think one of the first things to do is possibly get the community housing organisation to buy up some properties that they will then rent to artists, for socially responsible rents, and 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 that is just at least one way of guarding against against that success. Which reminds me, I do have to give them a call. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the last question I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Which I guess a big big part of this has been a plug, but I'm sure you yeah. can you can give a bit more of like how do people find the things and all of that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can um, go on Facebook and find us at Alt hyphen space ALT as in the alternative space uh, I'd actually uh, like to plug out this is a shout out for scripts uh, anybody we're looking for scripts for sketches uh, comedy scripts drama scripts full play scripts what have you for the community theatre group to, to work with and also we've got a community radio programme that's coming out in the new year called the alternative space programme which is um, a great name <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a great name um uh, I would plug the storytelling night, uh, which hopefully you're going to be a, a frequent visitor yeah, at. Yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> come down to that. Uh, uh, Fireside Tales, which is the second Thursday of every month. And basically, just get in touch. If you're in Morecambe, drop by 21C, Yorkshire Street. If the door's open, come on in. Uh, if not, there's a big poster outside which tells you what stuff uh, is happening. There's, yeah. there's loads of it. We've got a debating society as well um, and a book club. And a chess chess evening, chess competition on the first Monday of the month. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, that's it. And I've seen it happen in front of my eyes today. You know, if you come 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 down this to this uh, to this space, Matt will get you a brew. He'll like you know, he'll like actually spend time and talk to you and all of those things that we just don't don't often get acknowledged in the world. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the. I was you know impressed that you were doing that, and that's that's how we bring each other together, and that's how we build stuff is by by listening to each other. And uh, you're you know you, you like me, you're a t- you're a talker, but. You you also listen yeah and you know that's the that's an important combination so i mean i i, I love what you're doing here and I, yeah i hope i will uh, come down to the storytelling night and certainly uh, get involved in whatever ways i can uh, money allowing yeah <laughs> um, and the last thing i ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience oh folks goodbye Goodbye, 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 goodbye. I can't even say it. Goodbye. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> and two quick additional updates from me relating to writing that I've been doing recently. First of all, there is a new piece of writing that I've done around gender. It's called What About the Women? It's available on Medium, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And I've recently written another piece about my father, an update to the ones that I wrote last year. So that's also available on Medium. It's called Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad, and that particular piece is called waves if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and 
what patriarchy does to men and to all people. If you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering you can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make it's as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook at getting better acquainted and you can find it anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet and if you want to email me personally that's gba podcast at gmail.com or i'm Goosefat101 on Twitter. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.